darkness came and took its toll And in the name of flood control They made their plans and they drained the land Now the glades are going dry And the last time I walked in the swamp I sat up on a cypress stump I listened close and I heard the ghost of Osceola cry So blow, blow, seven oh wind Blow like you're never gonna blow again I'm calling to you like a long lost friend But I know who you are And blow, blow from the Okeechobee All the way up to Meganopee Blow across the home of the Seminoles and the gods The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. I'm your host, Luke Fay. It's rivalry week here in Tallahassee as the Knowles take on Miami and Doak Campbell Stadium this Saturday at 3.30 p.m. Florida State football this past weekend handily beat the Syracuse Orange 35-17. Last week, we promised to talk a little bit about the World Series, but ran out of time. We'll discuss the first five games of the series with the Astros leading the Nationals 3-2. You can always call into the show at 850-644-1837. Tomahawk Talk starts right now, and it was a fiery start here in the studio. Gary, uh, what what happened uh, about an hour ago? About an hour ago, uh, I was sitting in the sports room with Austin. Brett just walked in. I think Luke was somewhere around them. I heard his voice. And I don't know where the fire alarm just goes off. So we're, we're the hottest room in Seminole sports, exactly. and it was proven about an hour. Y- y- your hot takes were just a little bit, yeah, little bit too fiery early uh, this afternoon. Over to my right, Gianna making her Tomahawk debut for this semester. It's been a uh, a good baseball season for you. But how do you feel about the Nationals being in the World Series with the Mets beating them twelve times this year? I'm depressed. Um, the Mets beat the crap out of the Nationals all year, so hopefully they don't win the World Series. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm on the I'm on the Nationals bandwagon right now. Juan Soto has stolen my heart. We'll see uh, what what ends up with that. But the Astros winning three in a row, Luke. It's been uh, widely publicized that the Astros were in a bit of a funk to start the series with uh, everything that went on with Sports Illustrated. Uh, who who do you want to would take home the uh, World Series? Oh, I've I've been rooting for the underdog this entire series with the Nationals. Although, I mean, I wouldn't be up in arms if the Astros ended up winning, just because we are literally witnessing greatness that has been the Astros franchise for the past couple of years. So, I'll, I'll be rooting for the Nats these last two games. Florida Georgia rivalry week as well for them. Um, any thoughts going into that huge game? Is it a top ten matchup? Top ten matchup, six versus seven. I believe Georgia came in at seven. Somewhere in there, the the thing is, 
not many would have predicted early in the season that coming into this matchup, Florida would be ranked ahead of Georgia. I I would not say so, and I uh, they're coming in as a four and a half point underdog, underdog. so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I I I don't I think it's a toss up game. Really, who has the ball last is going to win it. Third third top ten matchup for Florida this season. Uh, third time they've been an underdog in that situation. So they're one in one so far. We'll see what happens. Five person panel today. Our final panelist is Anthony Fernandez. He uh, what what position did you play for our IM softball game? It was our debut with the V89 sports team. Lost fourteen to one, but put a valiant effort up there. Yeah, I kind of moved around a little bit. Uh, I was in left field for the majority of the game, but kind of a rough game uh, start of the season. Uh, we'll, we'll be only better, can though. get better. We, we can, can get better. better. It can only go up from here. You know, I won't say the score of the game because it was pretty bad. But you know, <laughs> with with a bad score like that, we can definitely go up from there. Oh uh, yeah, I, I unfortunately Gary didn't want to show face um, and, and save our season, and it's going to be two weeks in a row. We aren't going to see I don't, it. I don't know if I could have saved your the team if, considering y'all lost fourteen to not, one. Nine I was right saying the it, score it, here. It what, was a nine. This? It was a nine run first inning. You can't help it. Funny enough, I saw in the group chat you guys were texting this morning that it was actually fourteen to zero on paper. Paper, but on, in reality, on, it wasn't. On paper, the stat sheet said zero. I see a goose egg. Shout I will out. say, uh, you know, I, I will say this. I, I do want to give a little bit of a round of applause for Gianna putting the, you know, making contact and getting a ground out. She was not very <laughs> confident going in, but you got a standing ovation from us in the dugout. So we're going to give her a little clap there. How, did you have fun? Did you have fun? I had a great time. And I was the catcher for three innings. I did catch the ball one time. So it turned out pretty well for me. Never played any sports. I was a cheerleader my whole life. Well, it turned out pretty well for Florida State this weekend as well. Florida State beats Syracuse 35-17 to in convincing fashion. Syracuse put in um, a couple of late touchdowns that made it a little bit closer than what it was. But the surprise of the day, uh, earlier in the week we had heard that there was rumors that Alex Hornibrook uh, – much to the uh, excitement of Gary over on the left, was going to get the start over James Blackman. And Alex Hornibrook did his job, kind of similar to what he had done when he was a freshman at, at Wisconsin. Nothing spectacular, but they did win the game. Uh, but could you say that if James Blackman was put in that situation, would he have done better? That's that's up in the air. But more of the story is Alex Hornibrook won the game, and now going into Miami week, it looks like he's the presumptive starter headed into the game. Well, Hornibrook did get the start, but Cam Akers won the game. Hornibrook was just along for the ride. That was the Cam (laughs) Akers show. Cam Akers was it for FSE this week. Four touchdowns, tied a school record for most touchdowns in a game. And I think he has the most points in Florida State history. Does he now? Uh, there, there was something that was thrown in there as well um, that Derek Satterfield said in the post game. But Cam Akers is putting up an amazing career. Mm-hmm. It's a shame that uh, he almost reminds me of how Florida State underutilized Derwin James in the tenure. Yeah, imagine if it was Cam Akers instead of Dalvin Cook. It, like, would it have been the same amount of points or yards put up that uh, Cook did, or? How do you think it would have gone? For Imagine that? if you had the twenty, you know, twenty thirteen offensive line. A lot of things oh would gosh. be different. Yeah. Um, but we we can't talk too much about that. Cam Akers had a fabulous day. Mm-hmm. But what, let's talk about what the interesting thing was, which uh, Luke was the wild Cam, in which we saw Cam Akers not only run the ball but throw the ball very effectively. He was a quarterback in high school um, when he was in Mississippi. So. Uh, he was actually named the starter today by Willie Taggart uh, at quarterback. Kind of interesting, wouldn't you say? Yeah, you know, Willie Taggart, he was in a light mood after a win, which we've been saying all year, Willie, if you can just win some games, the mood is going to be like this a lot more in Tallahassee. Um, But going back to what you said about Cam Akers, I mean, he was the story of the game, both as quarterback and running back. Um, 
I think I looked at the stats. He had the highest quarterback efficiency rate out of all three guys who took snaps. He was at 73. The rest were like or Hornibrook and Blackman were below 50, something like that. So anytime you can get that out of a running back as your quarterback, it's going to be a good day. Anthony, my favorite part about seeing Cam Akers in the back backfield is what we've been harping on all year, which is getting Kalen Laburn and Cam Akers in the same backfield. We thought it was going to be you know twin running backs, but no, it was Cam Akers at quarterback, and it was very effective. Almost every time it either touched Kalen or touched Cam Akers, a couple of those passes went to Kalen, and it was a very positive uh, yardage situation for Florida State, which is what they need on those first downs. What do you think is the difference having these type of uh, – this type of formation in the backfield. Well, I think this is something you guys talked about on the show a couple of weeks ago that the Seminoles needed to get the ball to Kalen Laburn more. I mean, yeah, Cam Akers had 20 carries for 144 yards, but Kalen Laburn, I mean, 68 yards and 17 carries, four yards, um, four yards per carry. That's that's pretty impressive as well. I mean, um, and using Cam Akers in the Wildcat it does open up a lot more opportunities for uh, Kalen Laburn to to get the ball more and uh, and really show what he can do. The, the big thing that we had been talking about is Cam Akers was getting too many touches. The the problem with him was can he stay healthy if he gets this many touches? And at the end of the game, Gary, we saw Cam go down with an injury that if if he had stayed in, would have scored the fifth touchdown and would have been the most rushing touchdowns um, in Florida State history for a singular game. He went into the tent and Taggart said after the game, it's not really a big deal. He's a little bit banged up, but should be ready for the game. How does it feel that Kalen Laburn had a career high in 17 carries going into the Miami game where he looks hungry. He really does. It's his first time ever playing Miami. This is a big game for Florida State overall, but also a big big game for Kalen Laburn. Mm-hmm. And Kalen's, I think Kalen's going to be used in a good capacity next week against the Canes. It's going to be all hands on deck for this Florida State team, and they're going to need everyone and anything they can get against, the, against Miami. Gianna, looking at this, this rivalry game that Florida State is going to go into, where do you think the X factor is going to be for Florida State to have success in this game where Miami has really had a rough rough time this season? Um, I honestly think it's going to be with the defense, uh, especially during the Syracuse game. We saw they looked good through the first three quarters, but then in the fourth when they let them score two, like, it doesn't really seem like a big deal in this game, but if it's a close game like that between FSU and Miami, you do not want the defense falling apart like that late in the game, and we've seen that happen throughout the season. So I'm hoping that they can hold on and get us through that game for the win. Luke, what went wrong for Syracuse in the game? I just think they're under-talented. I mean, I, I don't think that they're a more talented team than FSU heading into that ball game. They have not still, we talked about it last week on the program, they still have not won a game against a Power 5 opponent this season. Mm-hmm. And Tommy DeVito has obviously taken a step back. I don't know what went through Dino Babers' head when he proclaimed Tommy DeVito as this next great thing early before the season started. A lot of he hype. looked good against Florida State though in relief, pretty. Yeah, good. there was a ton of hype heading into the season for Syracuse. I just don't think a program like that that doesn't have the backing and the recruiting prowess of a Florida State can compete year in and year out. You, with Florida you State. can though blame it a little bit on how pitiful their offensive line is. They oh, they absolutely. have the worst offensive line in the ACC. And what people didn't know was that one of their starting tackles. He quit football two days before the Florida State game and didn't really tell anyone about it. So not only was their offensive line pitiful, but they just lost another starter. And Florida State didn't didn't they have a career high or um, the most sacks all season this game? Oh yeah, I think so. And seven of them. It felt like every single time I watched FSU's D line go up against Syracuse's offensive line, 
they were it I thought a couple times that FSU was offsides because they were getting in the backfield so fast. I was surprised. Yeah. I was I said to myself, Where's the flag? And there was none. I was like, I guess they're just getting through that quickly. It was weird. Yeah, it was seven seven total sacks on the season, which is great given Florida State's defensive line, what they've gone through. Uh, you look at Josh Kando, Jaden Wimby going down for the year. A lot of injuries. Marvin Wilson has been up and down with his injuries. Not really played at full strength, but he's played amazing. One player I want to highlight here, Gary, is Hansa Nasruddin. Mm-hmm. 17 tackles uh, in one sack. He really has stepped up for this Florida State defense and, in my opinion, has showed up almost every single game this year. He's the best best DB in our backfield, in, I, the, in the backfield. I agree with that. He's been everywhere. He's been doing everything for this team. And in the Clemson game, granted it was kind of a lost cause, he did make a very impressive pick that game where he was kind of just hanging along the, yep. right along the sideline there. And that game against Wake, he was missed because of that targeting call. And he surely made his presence known this past weekend against the Orange. I, I totally agree. Nasruddin has been the big player for Florida State. I said backfield. I meant to say back end. He, he is... He has been the, he's been the leader for the defense. When Jaden Wimby went down, it, it was kind of wondering who's going to be that type of leader. Marvin Wilson has always been there. But, but there needs to be a leader in the secondary. Yeah. We know Marvin's the leader. He's the leader of that defense, and he's the leader of that D-line, but they need to have someone they can rally around in the secondary because that secondary does feel lost a lot of the time with Stanford Samuels, Levante Taylor. It's just Sometimes it's just pitiful to watch them go. Should Florida State feel feel good about themselves, Anthony, knowing that they they beat Syracuse pretty handily? Or is this just, you know, they, they weren't really anybody? I mean, I, I don't think you could really take any win for granted. Um, I mean, like like you said, Syracuse isn't the, the best of teams. But, I mean, it's definitely a momentum changer going into a big rivalry weekend against Miami. Like, they, they need all the, all the wins, all the confidence that they can get uh, going into this weekend. Um, not, I'm not saying Miami's been the best team either. But I mean, they, it doesn't matter. It doesn't at matter. This a, win, point. a win's a win. Um, both teams are four and four going into this weekend. So um, any momentum that FSU can have, it's it'll benefit them definitely. Luke, we said this almost every single week since about week three. Is this a must-win week for Florida State? <sighs> that's such, that's such a tough question. Four. I think from here on out. Even going back to the Syracuse game this up last until weekend, the Florida game, up until the Florida. Yeah, game. absolutely. Yeah. If, if we take if we take that as a given loss, which some might, some won't. I'm on the side that says it probably won't be a given loss for Florida State. Um, but even going back to the Syracuse, that's a huge win in that Willie Taggart, you could win close, you could win big, you couldn't lose that game, right? No. You couldn't lose it. It felt like a program stabilizer almost. And you saw the mood with Willie Taggart after the game and into the press conference today. Like his, The mood around the program changes when you win. And we've been talking all year, are you going to give yourself a chance to be the head coach here at Florida State? By just getting some momentum going, some. What, what did they What did they tell us um, a couple of weeks ago at, at the Clemson game? He doesn't get into it. He's not fired up. We really want to see him coach like Dabo Sweeney. And what has happened since then? You've seen him fired up. Some of the penalties. That was a huge moment he's, in the game too. He's really he has really gotten up there. And even when he gets cursed out as he's walking off the field by some bozo fan for no reason. I was there. There that's was a whole, no reason to do it. That's a whole different discussion. Um, there, he still walks in the press conference with a good mood, and and when he left, he said, "Have a great weekend," because you know I will. And I truly think he meant that he was going to have a great weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Corey Clark, uh, who covers the Knolls, he was saying uh, yesterday, or sorry, not yesterday, on Saturday, he could spot on the field FSU on a kickoff or a punt return only had ten players on the field, and Willie Tiger at the same exact time saw that, and he got so livid 
on the sideline that he grabbed an assistant coach's playbook or play chart. He yep. slammed it on the ground and was chewing. He was chewing them out. He was so fired up about that. Gary, that was the first couple. That uh, This past game was the first time I've seen it because I was watching on TV because I wasn't in Tallahassee over the weekend. That was the first time where I saw Willie get truly angry. And, like, I saw him start yelling, and I was like, this is Absolutely. what I've been looking he, for. He this cares, is, though. It, yeah. it shows that no. he actually cares, and and you can't put that past him. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have been really on him, and looking at the whole situation, did that play really not matter? But what he's trying to instill in his players, which is what we've really wanted this entire time, is no late penalties, no unnecessary mm-hmm. references, no unsportsman likes. And he knows that this game is a precursor to the Miami game where these things matter. If 10 people were on the field for the Miami game, like 10 people were on the field for the Florida game last year, I mean, how embarrassing was that for that Florida DB, I think it was Chauncey Gardner, to point to the sideline and say, y'all only have 10 players on the field. <laughs> and that's just like Chauncey to start talking trash. It's yeah. just simple discipline Getting that he's heads. trying to instill, and that's something that kind of got awry with Jimbo, I guess. So and it's he, nice to see that he's trying to get on these players and have them held accountable. And, you know, there was the, the big screensaver moment, if you will, where you see Willie Taggart fired up on the sideline. I think it was after the Syracuse missed field goal. They were about to make it 13-6, to and the context mm-hmm. around that is, well, Florida State had just gotten two drives where they go back about 30 yards or something like that. They were driving, Hornerbrook gets sacked, and then the next possession they get pinned down in their own end zone, and you're thinking, here we go again. The offensive line can't yep. generate any push. Florida State's going to get in a dogfight with a team like yep. Syracuse. And that was just a huge momentum shifter, and Willie Taggart recognized that, and he was fired up about it. I want to go back to harp on that fans' unruly behavior after the game. Somebody pointed out on Twitter that, remember at Jimbo's last season, somebody made a or somebody made a comment said, to Jimbo, and he said, come down here and say it to my yep. face or something like that? He said, new coaches. And that was that was all the fans said, yep. and they riled Jimbo and, up. But none of the players stood up for him at that moment. But then when that person said what he said to Willie Taggart, I saw, I think I saw, could point out three people in Jay's video that mm-hmm. got on and like was starting to go towards the wall, and like some people had to kind of hold them back. Easily one of the most unacceptable moments I've ever seen. Like, mm-hmm. if here's the thing you can somewhat understand people being disgusted off of like a bad loss and everything, but that was completely that uncalled was for. And everyone was in such no one got an actual good look at, at the guy um, on video. I, I saw him, I know what he looks like. There were a couple people saying it was this guy, it was this guy, mm-hmm. was it? Um, the guy was know. about <laughs> six foot 240, pretty easy to stand out in that crowd. But the thing is, everyone there knew it was unacceptable, yeah. And, I think that was a change in how fans view it, where now they're looking at it and going, this guy's, you know, fighting out here. Even when people people are saying these things about him, he just kept on walking. And I don't know about you guys, but if that happened to me or you, that's a tough thing to just put my head down and keep on going. And the fact that the players were willing to stand up for him that moment, I, that kind of put, that kind of like, made me feel good about this team and that they still believe in him. They don't want to quit on Coach Taggart. I think one of the good things uh, was was seeing all the players at his house, at Willie mm-hmm. Taggart's house, and how happy they were. That's when I realized, you know, the players actually care because you mm-hmm. can't really fake that type of energy in a room. And so for all the people that want him gone, yeah, he's going to have to win this game to, to say coach at Florida State, but you shouldn't want him to, to necessarily not succeed. And regardless of a who, uh, if that person who said what they said was a student or just a Tallahassee native or just a fan, the that culture around Tallahassee and around FSU is still there because I've seen students who I've seen oh, a sh- yeah. I've seen a shirt. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Some people have been wearing a shirt that says "Fire Taggart," yeah. and there's no they have like no belief in this team or in this coaching staff. You're gonna get those kinds of fans at every yeah. single program, but the closer they get to the limelight, to the spotlight, it doesn't look good for your program. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just. We, we probably even shouldn't even giving no. him uh, that much attention. But let's move on to Miami. We've got yeah. about 
eight or ten minutes before the break. Uh, Miami is in a worse, in in my opinion, and I think a lot of people can say in a worse situation than Florida State is. They're going through the growing pains of Manny Diaz in his first season, and the one big thing that Florida State and Miami have had problems with um, Florida State since Jameis Winston, and I would say Miami since Brad Kaya, is they haven't had a real quarterback step up. And looking into this game, it'll be very interesting to see who who is going to win the game for Miami because they do not have very healthy playmakers. I mean, DJ Dallas is, is pretty injured from what, I, from what I've heard. So I, I am looking forward to this game, and I really don't think that Florida State's going to get a blowout. I don't. I truly don't. Oh, absolutely not. Especially in a rivalry game like this, there's no way either of these teams are going to pull away with the ball game. I just don't. We, we play out scenarios like that. I don't see a situation in which either of these teams and pulls away. Either, regardless of which team, they need a close game and a win and a rivalry game. That that feel is the spur. What killed Florida State last year, and this is the thing that, that we said, was this will be a moment when Florida State lost that big game last year uh, at Miami where they gave up that huge lead. I remember being in that uh, in that interview room and saying, wow, man, they really care. Like This, this really stung. This is going to be a... Uh, a thing to jumpstart them into the the rest of the season. And it didn't really happen. It didn't really happen. And I really do think if Florida State wins this game, a nice close game, this can jumpstart them. One of the one of the big factors that you're gonna have to look into is Miami doesn't have a kicker and Florida State is up in the air whether Ricky Aguayo is <laughs> going to play, uh Parker Growthhouse is gonna play. I, I don't know what to say, but we're we're gonna go uh to the call lines and uh I think we we have a caller here, Gary. Oh yeah. So on the line here for Florida State, or I should say for Miami, is Danny LaRose. He is a senior at Miami and the play-by-play broadcaster for UM Sports at WVUM, Miami's student radio station. How are you doing, Danny? Hey, what's going on, guys? I'm good. Um, uh, well, I, I hope you're doing well. Uh, how, the one, one thing I want to talk about first is, is how is that kicking situation over in Miami? Uh, one of the big things that I remember seeing a couple years ago is Bubba Baxa was – four of nine his senior year and still got a scholarship to Miami? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, People always bring that up. I think he was like four for 11, honestly. Yeah, he I think it was worse. the number four <laughs> kicker, uh, according to ESPN in the country, because for whatever reason, his high school had him only kick, I think it was either 40 or 50-plus. So he was a high schooler who was kicking exclusively like 50-plus yard field goals. Um, and so Miami, you know, of course they were going to go for the number four kicker in the country. And it's just like literally never panned out. And what's crazy with him is that you'll watch during warmups and even in game, he'll nail 40 yarders, 50 yarders, but it's those chip shots. It's those 20 yarders and 30 yarders that he just cannot hit. So I've always been like an advocate that uh, Bubba Baxter shouldn't be the kicker, except for maybe kickoffs. And if you're really looking for, you know, a 40 plus yarder, anything else, he should not be kicking because he can't kick anything shorter than 40. The, the person behind him, are you guys trying to keep a red shirt for one of those kickers? I know you have a couple behind him, but they haven't necessarily been that great. Uh, you, you missed two tw- uh, just under 30-yard field goals. Um, I, uh, I can't remember what team that was uh, the other week. In, yeah, uh, was Georgia, Georgia Tech. Tech? That, was, uh, that was a mess. So they've got, they, they had behind him a couple weeks ago against Virginia in that upset win. They had Turner Davidson, who's this, uh, he's a walk-on kicker. I think he's like a red shirt sophomore, something like that. Kid, he, he, they, people started calling him McKicken because he looked like McLovin. That's how you know much of a baby face he has. Oh how small that guy is. He's got to be like no bigger than five seven or five eight. 
Um, so you can only imagine the kind of leg strength that he has. Uh, it's pretty non-existent, and he hit like you know a 25-yarder against Virginia, and everybody's like, "All right, there we go. Here's our guy." Georgia Tech, he gets, uh, uh, you know, he misses one because it was too short. It's like a 37-yarder that he kicked, maybe 10 yards short. So it was pretty bad. He gets another one blocked because you know he didn't get any air on it. I mean, I could have blocked that thing, and I'm, <laughs> I'm smaller than six feet. That's how you know that's how low that thing was coming off of his foot. And um, the week prior, the reason they didn't turn to who would you, you would think is the backup kicker Camden Price who they used to kick this past week against Pitt is because he was uh, suspended for two games. Um, typically, you know, one or two game suspension, it's probably like, you know, a little thing like weed or something like that. And, and so they kick him off the, off the team for two weeks and bring him back later. And uh, that, that guy, he was unavailable, so they go to Davidson. And then Georgia Tech, they go to Davidson again, and they never went to Price, even though he was available again on the sidelines. So then they turn to Price this week against Pitt, he kicks one field goal, hits the extra points. Everything works out swimmingly. So I, I literally have no idea who they would turn to next. But everybody's, you know, clamoring for Camden Price to be the kicker. I'm sure we're going to see some wide left and wide rights in this Miami game, whether it's Florida State <laughs> or Miami. Yeah. But uh, give us a, give us the the main reason why Miami has fallen so far in the last two years after starting ten and zero, um, uh, the uh, two two or three years ago. I mean, let's be real, 2017, that was a fluke year for Miami. A lot of those wins were very close. They kind of, like, pulled things out by the, you know, the, the skin of their teeth. Um, Malik Rozier, as, as, you know, much as he struggled, he was a wizard in the fourth quarter. Um, you guys saw it. We saw it against uh, North Carolina that year. You know, that was a, that was a two-win North Carolina team, three-win, something mm-hmm. like that. And Miami was only able to pull away by, like, six points. Georgia Tech, same thing happened. Um, so, so that Miami team was, was – uh, it was kind of a fluke because, you know – Everybody says with college football, Rome wasn't built in a day. Dabo Swinney went six and six his first year. Mark Richt went eight and four his first year. Um, not bad. Beat West Virginia in the bowl game. Ended up going nine and four. Lose the uh, starting quarterback Brad Kaya. And in my the opinion, year, if, um, if, if Kaya is still there, you guys are in the national championship. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that argument, but at the same time, I don't know if he. Uh, I don't know if he. You know, pulls out some of those some of those victories like Malik was able to do. Like, you know, that Florida State victory, uh, there were a couple of big runs that Malik had to pull off. A couple other games where, you know, on, on fourth and five, he has to run for six yards to get the first down. He was a mobile quarterback, and, and Kaya wasn't. So that's the uh, that's kind of the caveat, because, I mean, you could point at the pit game that we lost in 2017 and say, if you have Brad Kaya in that game, you win, most likely. But I don't know if we win some of those other games that were, you know, kind of pulled out at the last second. Speaking but, uh Sweet. Yeah, that 2017, you know, they kind of struck gold a year too early, and then the next year fell back down to earth. And, you know, back down to earth would have been eight or nine wins. Instead, back down to earth turned out to be seven wins, and the offense was historically bad. Mark Rich was pulling off the same plays, you know, every single time. It was, he was an old-school coach, basically trying these old-school offenses, wasn't going spread like everybody else was in college football, almost like he was, you know, hitting his head against the wall, expecting something to go to go right. It wasn't. And, uh, and then Miami had to make the coaching change because Rick retired. Um, you know, Manny takes over, and the offense hasn't even, has, has not improved at all. It's actually gotten worse, and it was already historically bad a year ago. So that's kind of the, the traje- trajectory you've seen. The defense has been just as good. The defense last year, top five in the country, and then the offense was just that bad. So the offense in 2017 wasn't all that great, but it was good enough to pull away with some of these close wins. Offense in 2018, historically bad. Offense in 2019, somehow even worse, even with you know an Alabama um, offensive coordinator as our new offensive coordinator. Speaking of uh, quarterbacks, Kosey Perry came back this year 
Uh, he was benched last year, suspended as well. Jaron Williams gets a surprise start in the opening game against Miami. Tate Martell gets moved over to wide receiver. Then I, I hear that he is moved back to get some quarterback snaps at third string or something. It's it's going all the over the place with quarterbacks. Who is the guy that should start for the Canes come this Saturday? Yeah, so the main battle uh, ever since that Virginia Tech game where Jaron threw three picks in like six attempts, the main battle is between Jaron Williams and Nikosi Perry. And apparently in that game, Jaron also hurt his shoulder, so that's why Nikosi gets a couple of starts. And then against Pitt, Jaron's completely okay. Cozy's still getting the start because he was awesome against Virginia Tech. He threw for over 400 yards in three quarters, like four touchdowns. Um, he got the win against Virginia, and uh, uh, the, the thing that Nicozy can bring is the athleticism. He's the type of guy who can scramble away from a defender. He can fight for that first down with his legs. Jaron Williams can't do that, so that appealed to Miami. However, Nicozy only completes like you know 60% of his passes. I think he, has, he would have the lowest completion percentage in the ACC, or second lowest actually, behind only ahead of only the Georgia Tech quarterback in the ACC. Um, if he had enough, you know, if he had enough passing attempts, Jaron hits 70% of his completions. That would be tops in the ACC. So it's kind of like, you know, pick pick your pick your poison. Almost, do you want the more athletic quarterback who's going to overthrow his receivers, or the guy who might get sacked more because he can't scramble, but who's going to hit everybody in stride? And Tate, Tate, meanwhile, um, he yeah, you're right. He went from what wide receiver that threw him in wildcat a couple times, tried to fool Florida, didn't really work. Now he's back to third string because Cozy had a separated shoulder. Jaron had that shoulder injury that sidelined him for a couple games. And the most frustrating thing is that it's not that Miami has two very good quarterbacks um, like we thought we did, actually, at least three very good quarterbacks in the summertime. They have two two good quarterbacks in Jaron and Nicosi, but neither one of them is winning the job. They just keep losing the job. They keep trading off, you know, who's going to play worse one week to lose the job to the other guy. Um, but after seeing the pit game and seeing how poor Nicosi was and some of those passes, I mean, he had guys 15 yards downfield wide open that he overthrew by 10 yards. Um, seeing that game and, and seeing what Jaron was able to do for the fourth quarter comeback, I think it's got to be Jaron. Um, you know, Miami's offense is already struggling enough. You need a guy who's going to be able to complete his passes to defeat Florida State. And, you know, Florida State doesn't have a, have a bad defense by any stretch. So I think it's got to be Jaron this weekend. But, you know, expect Manny to announce that maybe Thursday or Friday. Danny, a little bit of a correction. I said Jaron Williams started against Miami. Obviously, he was starting against Florida. We're going to head right. to break. Um, just stay on the line, and we'll have you back for uh, about five more minutes after this. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee the voice of Florida State.
makes me stare at you as you twist up along you sing your song and you slithering up to me and you're so close I just uh And now over to Austin Reynolds with our Seminole update. Thanks, guys. This is Austin Reynolds here with your Seminole segments. Women's basketball opened its season with a resounding 104-46 exhibition win over Florida Southern yesterday. Six players finished in double figures, led by freshman River Baldwin's 19 points on five of six shooting. Sophomore Valencia Myers turned in a double-double with 14 points and 12 rebounds in the game. The Seminoles shot a staggering 63.8% from the floor, more than doubling Florida Southern's 28.8%. Now that exhibition play is out of the way, the team looks towards its season opener against Charleston Southern a week from tomorrow. Tip-off is set for 7 p.m. from the Donald L. Tucker Center here in Tallahassee. Additionally, Florida State Soccer plays its final match of the regular season this Thursday night as they take on the ninth-ranked Duke Blue Devils. The Seminoles are coming off a North Carolina road trip where they finished 1-1, suffering a shutout loss to UNC and claiming a 2-1 victory over Wake Forest with goals from Kristen McFarland and Dana Castellanos. On the other side of the matchup, Duke is coming off a 4-1 blowout against basement-dwelling Syracuse yesterday and have not lost a match since falling to UNC at the end of August. The Blue Devils have not been that dominant in ACC play, though, as they have somehow managed to tie in six of nine conference contests so far. Florida State is guaranteed a top-three seed in the ACC tournament regardless of Thursday's results, whereas Duke is fighting for a spot in the top four. Kickoff for Thursday night is set for 8 p.m. from the Seminole Soccer Complex. That's all for me. Now back to the studio for the last half hour. Thanks, Austin. Appreciate the time-honored tradition of Seminole segment. Had a little bit of dead air there, but of course, Austin, great at filling in that time. And of course, we're going to continue this Miami talk as we speak. Once again, Danny LaRose on the line. Um, Danny, we were talking in the uh, studio while we were on break. Uh, w- one of the favorite rivalry moments that uh, you've had. Would you say the block at the Rock is is near the top? Uh, yeah, I'd say that's probably dead last. Uh, <laughs> that was uh, that was pretty terrible. I remember I went from just pure, you know, elation to seeing what happened and just feeling like I wanted to I wanted to leave immediately. Um, and it was it was funny because I thought karma was going to be on my side. Um, you know, there were these FSU fans sitting next to us in the student section, and I was being so nice to them while other people were being mean. And it uh, turns out it didn't work out that way. But I think I think the next year we got some some much-needed revenge. Uh, very very true. I think the next two years he got much-needed mm-hmm. revenge. That's a... Yeah, dude, these these games have all been so close. They've been thrilling. I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous how, how great this rivalry has been these past couple of years. Hey, Danny, uh, Luke Hazen here. And I want to talk about Brevin Jordan for a second because – on paper, you look at his stats in the season, 29 receptions, 447 yards, two touchdowns. It sounds and looks like he could be a game-changer in a game against FSU. But the last couple of games, you go back after the Virginia Tech game where he goes off for seven receptions and a touchdown. He's kind of been quiet the last couple of games. Um, is that just a change in offensive philosophy with Dan Enos, or is he just underperforming right now? Yeah, you know, I haven't I haven't paid too much close attention to Brevin in-game, but I have taken note of that, and a lot of people have. A lot of people are clamoring, just throw the ball to Brevin more. I think after that um, 
after the Virginia game, he was leading college football and both college football tight ends in both receptions and receiving yards, one or the other. And um, and then the next week he was non-existent against Georgia Tech. And this past week against Pitt, he didn't get too many targets either. I'm not sure if other teams are maybe double teaming him more, or maybe they're trying to use him more as a blocking tight end to set up the run game because Miami's run game has been just so bad these past couple of weeks. But yeah, that's definitely something that. Uh, every Miami fan has been clamoring for. We, we love Brevin, and, um, you know, he, he is he's one of the best tight ends in the country. The stats prove it. His athleticism proves it. He was, I think, the number one tight end coming out of high school a couple years ago. Um, I think it's just a matter of getting him more targets, but he might be, he might be facing double coverage. Who knows? I, I just haven't, haven't really seen that. Who, who is the difference maker? This was Luke Fay uh, once again. Who is the diff- difference maker going to be in this game next weekend for Miami? And give us a... Your your prediction uh, for this weekend's clash in uh, in Doak Campbell Stadium? Difference maker. I, I think it's got to go down. It, it's an it's an easy obvious pick, but I think it's going to be the quarterback. I think it's going to be Jaron who's taking the snaps. And if Jaron is you know the Jaron that we saw against Florida or the Jaron Williams that we saw against even North Carolina a game Miami lost, but that Jaron played really really well in. I mean, think about Florida. He got sacked ten times and never once turned the ball over. Uh, it, pretty incredible that he was able to do that. Um, all of his turnovers came in that one game against Virginia Tech where he had a real fluke. If he can complete his passes, if he can just kind of lead Miami's offense, which has been just the most boring offense in college football, more boring than Army running a triple option. I mean, it has been just so brutal these last couple of years watching Miami try screen pass after screen pass, you know, halfback dive up the gut that goes for maybe half a yard. Um, if they can get a, like a quarterback in there who's really looking like he's a game manager, who's looking like he can hit you know downfield passes, who can actually move the chains more than just once per drive, that would be a huge step in the right direction for Miami because um, we know the defense can do their job. They've been doing it since 2017. And as for prediction, boy, I hate making predictions because I'm such a superstitious guy. Um, but uh, the 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 cynist in me and the and the realist Miami fan. I just I think Vegas is right giving Florida State the advantage uh, this weekend. I, I really don't think that Miami's going to be able to pull it out. But at the same token, I mean, Florida State fans have have most of the same you know uh, uh, arguments for their team being so lackluster and, and and underperforming as Miami fans. I mean, we're both going after our new coaches. We're both going after our uh, our new OCs. We're both very frustrated with you know all this talent that these two teams have you know miami and florida state the talent they have the amount of four and five stars could be competing for the acc uh with clemson every single year but they're just not uh so it's it's so tough because i mean i'm so not confident in miami but then you look at how they played against virginia at least how the defense played and you're like all right this team could be florida state and you look at the next week the 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 way they played against georgia tech and, and and mostly the offense but also the run defense and you're like God, this team could lose to anybody. So it's it's really anybody's guess. I really couldn't tell you. Hey, Danny, Gary Putnick here. I got one question for you. While Manny Diaz was a student at Florida State, he was the sports editor for our newspaper, the FS View. Right. I am currently I never, the sports editor for the FS View right now. So I want to know: Does being the FS View sports editor make you qualified for, to be the head coach of Miami? And when should I be expecting my phone call? <laughs> Well, first, you're going to have to go become a defensive coordinator at Texas and Mississippi State with a stop at ESPN in the production room along the way. Mm-hmm. And then uh, if you lead the number one defense in the country, you might get, uh, you might get the call. But, uh, no, you, it's, it's pretty funny how he started out in media just like us and, and was you know, uh, at, at ESPN, his first job out of college. And then was like, you know what, I want to try my hand at, at coaching. It turns out he was pretty darn good at it, at least with defenses. 
So what I hear, I'm one step away, I'm one step down the road to being the head coach of Miami. One step, twenty years. Yeah, yeah, you're close. Okay, sounds good. I'll see you then, <laughs> Danny. Well, while we're on the uh, Manny Diaz talk, uh, how do you feel about his son Colin um, taking class with me over at Florida State? Uh, lo- looks like uh, we have a little inside information from Miami, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I'm sure that Manny definitely tells his son every uh, every play they run. He probably gives him the playbook over text by week. Uh, <laughs> no, it's funny that. Um, you know, my, my Florida State girlfriend, her friends, they try to joke with me saying that, you know, Manny was an FSU guy first. But uh, Manny, he calls it his dream job for a reason. You know, his dad was mayor of Miami. He grew up. I think the, one of his, his stories that he told when he was first hired and take it for what it's worth, whether he's, you know, just trying to gas up the fans or not. But he said that he was like five or six years old and it was the first time his parents let him stay up was to watch Miami in the 1983 Orange Bowl win the national championship. Um, and, uh, and, you know, but what, what I'll always say is, is the bottom line is who's signing that check, you know? Yeah. If Florida mm-hmm. State hires me to be their head coach and they've got zeros on the, on the end of that check, well, you better expect that I'll be doing the best I can for that team. Well, Danny, we are uh, running out of time, so give us I – don't, I don't know if I caught your score prediction, but we need a score prediction for Twitter. And, um, and are you going to come up to the game and uh, call the game? I will be up there. I will not be calling the game. I'll be I'll be a fan, so I'll get all the heckling that I can that I can from you guys in your student section. I don't know if WVM will be calling the game up there. I heard that there might not be enough room for us, according to your SIDs. Um, but I will be there, so hit me up. And uh, for score prediction, not going to give a winner, but I think either side can uh, can come away with this with this score. Let's put it at twenty to seventeen. One of those teams is going to, is going to be on the winning end, twenty to seventeen. Okay, we'll give you the homer score of Miami winning twenty, uh, <laughs> winning by that by that score. This is uh, Danny Larose of WVUM Miami Student Radio Station. Danny, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Well, that was a good good call there. But I I know that last week we promised talking about World Series talk, and we learned a lot about Miami and their their program. They're going through. Really, what the stage of Florida State went through last year um, in the growing pains with Manny Diaz. Once again, got to give coaches time. It's crazy. It's a crazy thing. Uh, as, he, as he mentioned, Dabo Sweeney was 6-6 six and six when he first started at Clemson. Um, that being said, we did not talk about the World Series, and it kicked off on Tuesday. And boy, was it a good start. The Nationals ended up going up 2-0 to zero against the Astros. Mattress Mac had over $15 million <laughs> on the Astros to win. Uh, which is oh, a local, about that guy. a local oh, yeah. Houston businessman. He uh, he offers deals, um, and he put a lot of money on the Astros, and he was sweating for a little bit. Astros though come back and win the next three games. We have, of course, have our baseball connoisseur over here in Gianna. Gianna, how has the series really go- gone so far? It's it's been ups and downs. Juan Soto went from being twenty to twenty one uh, for the Nationals. It's been very very uh, compelling story so far this World Series. So the momentum, momentum, sorry, has been shifting a lot. After the Nats took the first two games, I really thought that the Astros were done. And I have a stat that uh, teams winning the first two games of the series have gone on to win 22 of 25 times. Wow. But <laughs> um, then the Astros came back, took the next three on the road. The Nats only scored three runs in the last three games, which has been kind of insane. Um they have gone one for 21 with runners in scoring position over the last three games, and their offense has basically just been dead. Besides Juan Soto, like you brought up, he has four home runs this postseason, two in the World Series, 
and now he's 21, but he was 20 years old for, what, the first two or three games? Yeah, first two games. So, honestly, I feel like it's anybody's series right now. Um, the momentum has definitely shifted going back to Houston up. They just need one more to win. So, I, I really don't think that the Astros will lose two in a row, even if tomorrow night they force a Game 7 with Strasburg on the mound versus Verlander. I see Astros going in six or seven, but definitely Strohs. In, in Game 5, Max Scherzer was scratched with neck stiffness, and really you got to throw in a pitcher there for the, for the Nats, and that was a hard situation even at home, and it didn't work out. Max Scherzer said he could barely put on his clothes and – Really, he's up in the air for the rest of the postseason. How big was it to not have him in Game 5 and give the Nationals the commanding lead headed to Houston for the next two games, possible two games? Well, I mean, that game, was, it was 2-2 headed into that game. So, I mean, having a pitcher like Max Scherzer going into that game, that's that's huge. And I know uh, Joe Ross was on the mound, and I'm obviously he's not uh, the caliber that Max Scherzer is. Um but yeah, it's definitely a huge blow. It's, I mean, without without Max Scherzer, it's hard to it's hard, it's hard to win a game. I mean. Gary, is, how, how much money is is Cole making this off season, or this off season due to his postseason play? Probably close to Bryce Harper money. Probably, maybe a little bit less, just because the way pitchers are so up and down in terms of injuries. So I don't know. I expect him to be making a fair amount of money. Nice, pretty paycheck. How do you view this World Series so far? Has it been everything it's been built up to be, or are you a little bit disappointed not to see one of the Yankees or Dodgers teams um, come come alive here? I'm, I'm not Chris it? Camacho. I didn't want to see the Dodgers in this <laughs> one. I this has been a pleasant surprise. I enjoyed seeing the Nationals make this run. This has been a lot of fun watching them play this kind of ball and. They sh- they shocked me winning those first two games in Houston. I was I was I was kind of I was blown away. Yeah, I was blown away. I was like, oh my gosh, they could sweep here. They have a chance. And they were and p- the one thing that's now kind of gonna haunt them is that they were doing the like the present the trophy presentation rehearsal on the field before game three. I don't know if you saw that on Twitter. Uh, no, that's not no. not good. That I don't know. That could have. I'm hoping that's a tweet from like before the. Uh, Maybe the NLCS. a different one. I was yeah. hoping that was the NLCS, but I don't know. That could have been the the World Series right there. So. Not not great. And really, if you look at this this upcoming game, I, I believe it's tomorrow in Houston. I'm not yeah, sure. Eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. Eight o'clock. This is a big game for both teams. And if if the yeah. Astros win win this, they almost signify the upstart of a dynasty. They had won previously the World Series. But you look at the changing of the guards, and baseball really hasn't seen this this bit of dominance. The Astros could be the team of the 2020s. Well, the problem that they're going to hit is their pitchers are starting to get, or Verlander's getting old. They're going to start losing some guys, so they're going to need pe- uh, people in the minor leagues to come up. And I don't, I haven't looked at their minor league system, Luke. I don't know if you have either, or Anthony or Gianna. Do they have anyone that can fill these holes of Verlander, possibly Cole, if he gets paid? And then their bullpen. Their bullpen isn't the greatest thing either. But the Astros are doing this all without Lance McCullers, who went down mm-hmm. with Tommy John last mm-hmm. year, and he was arguably one of their best pitchers when they went on that run to the World Series, throwing, I think at one point he had thrown 24 curveballs in a row. I wonder why he had Tommy John, but mm-hmm. still, that's that's a solid piece that you can go back on. Really, this Astros team is built to win offensively. Oh, yeah. They are leaps and bounds ahead of most teams in the league in terms of offense. It's surprising when you got Altuve, Correa, Springer, Bregman. I mean, it's just top of the line. Just amazing lineup. Anthony? Uh, yeah. I mean, the Astros also have uh, 
Forrest Whitley, he's coming up in the mm-hmm. minor league system now, and he's, I mean, 6'7", 195. He's 22 years old. He's pretty much the up-and-coming pitcher for the Astros, I mean, he's and he's been pretty impressive. So, I mean, I, if anyone were to replace Justin Verlander, probably – uh, and probably join the Astros rotation next season um, beyond Granke, uh, Verlander, and Garrett Cole, who might not be on the team next year. Mm-hmm. They might lose him in, uh, in free agency. He might be someone to, to fit in that, in that rotation. Gianna, what do, the, what, what do the Nationals need to do to get back into the series? They just need to start hitting. I mean, mm-hmm. the offense has seriously been dead. Um, Trey Turner... 344 OPS this postseason, Rendon, 573, who have been like big key players throughout the season. And like I said before, one for 21 with runners in scoring position is not going to get you anywhere. And like you said, the Astros just mash. So. You, uh, you look at the three games that, that the Astros won, they held, they held the Nationals to one run each game. And we, we've talked about the production of the Nationals prior to this in, in um, all of the playoffs, and they've been on fire. And it's subsequently just fallen off the map. And you can blame that on poor starts. Really, in the in the first inning, if you can get out of that first inning, I really think that the Astros lose a lot of their, their firepower. Looking at if you just look at Jose Altuve, unbelievable what this man has done in his, in his career. All the ups and downs that he's had to go through, he is making an argument for being one of the top players in baseball. Oh, or at least most valuable to a team. He stated that claim for a while. I, I don't know a person who covers baseball who wouldn't say Jose Altuve has been a top five player in the major in Major League Baseball. I don't the last think he'll ever leave years. the Astros. So that's what I'm trying to say. He's the cornerstone player that will always be there, almost like Mike Trout is to the to the Angels. I don't think I don't think Bregman's leaving either. So really, if if there was a player that the Astros are going to hold on to to make that cornerstone player, it's Alex Bregman, in my opinion. Why? Because Jose Altuve is getting up there in age. He's not He's not the young player that Alex Bregman is. And Bregman has shown unreal potential, especially with this last MVP caliber season. Um, all, all signs, if you're, if you're a good franchise, which the Astros are, point to them keeping someone like Bregman over Altuve, despite what he's done to that, to that franchise. All right, well, let's get into predictions here because I think we've covered it pretty well. The Nationals need a win tonight or else – or, tomorrow sorry, night. tomorrow night, or else uh, Houston's going to be raising the trophy once again. I, I don't know if the Nationals can come back. They they had so much energy going up 2-0, and it seems like the Astros were who we thought they were and woke up. They really woke up and have flipped the series, winning uh, three in a row. I'm going to take the Astros in six, and they win 6-4. to four, They'll be popping champagnes tomorrow night. Anthony? Uh, yeah, I mean, this series alone has just gone to show you that home field advantage does not mean anything in baseball. Anything yep. can happen on any given day. Um, the Nationals took two in Houston, and then um, the, the Astros took three in, in Washington. So, I mean, they're going back to Houston tonight. I also think the Astros are going to close it out. Um, I think I just think it's it's time. Um, I, I say the score is about, like, 7-3. I'll call it 7-3. Luke? Numbers don't lie. Uh, Justin Verlander has been – Awesome this postseason, save for, save for the game four in Tampa, I believe. Other than that, he was awesome in the ALCS, and I think he gets the job done on uh, Tuesday night. The Astros' bats have finally woken up for good this time, I feel. I have them winning game six and the World Series 6-1. to one. Gary, are we going to change uh, the course of these picks or now? Strohs are going to win this series, but they're not going to win tomorrow night. Justin Verlander has never gotten a win in a World Series game. 
Every single game. David, he's almost like David Price of the postseason. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I, Luke, I see that reaction. I know. David Price is good. David Price is good. But what? No. What? What? Are, you got something to say? I'm saying Justin Verlander has been a way better pitcher than David. Price oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Wins he's don't yeah. Mean it's a, to me. If no. you pitch good, you're pitching good. But still, if you can't win the game, it's that's one that's yeah. one loss closer to being your you, season over. You play over. to win the game. Exactly. It's all ones and zeros. It's wins and losses. And so what? What's your score? What's your score? Uh, Astros win. Astros lose tomorrow night. Sorry, they lose four to three, and then they win the next game, which would be Thursday. They are going to win that one probably six to two. It would be Wednesday. Okay. All right. Well, Gianna, Gianna, are we going to change? Or are we we going uh, away from the Nats again? Uh, no, I, I definitely think it's the Astros. But like Gary said, I think that if the Nats can steal one tomorrow from Verlander, they will. But there's no way that the Astros lose two in a row. It'll be Astros in seven. Okay. And I think the score is going to be close tomorrow night. Just because Strasburg has been so dominant throughout the postseason and his entire career, I feel like they're going to try to get a shift in that momentum back. Like you said, Anthony, that. Um, home field advantage like really hasn't meant much in this series, but ultimately I think it'll be the Strohs. Well, that's a sweep across the board there for uh, for anyone. I, I think Lauren Hafner not excited about that. One of our own, a Nationals fan. There, are, I think there are a couple of Nationals fans in here. Yeah, not not any Astros fans. So we'll 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 see where it comes uh, comes to. I, I think we might have a watch party tomorrow. Maybe watch Maybe. a little bit. But game game seven would be taking place during our uh, softball game. Oh damn. On Wednesday, that's tough. Just, just streaming say, in the outfield. Just want to say, I had the Astros in seven at game one of the regular se- game one of the regular season. That's the fire alarm. That's too hot. Uh, we're we're going to keep we, on we going. We're just heating up. You got to be kidding alarm. me. I, I ain't leaving. We we ain't leaving. We ain't leaving. What? Uh, attention! Attention! Good lord! This is authentic radio. Florida State Miami rivalry week and. Uh, I don't know if Miami. Can we get our predictions play, in real quick? Uh, are they uh, trying to play? Yeah, uh, we didn't do Miami predictions. We didn't yeah, do we Miami, did Miami predictions. Here we go. All right. Well, Anthony, let's get our Miami prediction. Hopefully, not a hurt. We might. We might just switch to some music right now, given the uh, oh, the loud see. noises. So we will switch to some hallway music. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk, live on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. Believe. Well, he wasn't having the baby, well, but he was present. Yes. Um, and that being said, very congratulations, congratulations to him yeah. as well. But uh, you, you were talking about Nunn, what he has done. Get, give a little backstory for people who, who haven't seen the uh, start of the regular season. Um, this is a diamond in the rough that Pat Riley has found once again. Exactly. Pat Riley's doing Pat Riley things. The development is still there with the Heat. People thought Spolstra was just uh, just LeBron's kind of like puppet where he would control when he was there. But Spolstra's doing work. He's putting in a good team this year. The team that he's got is very young. It's a younger core. With Winslow, Hero, Butler, Abadabio, Ab- yeah, Bam, Bam Abadabio, it's a good team. I like this. I like the direction that the Heat are going. They're going to make the playoffs this year. Put it down. Ooh. Mark it. Mark it up. Tweet, Tweet it. Tweet, Tweet it. it. That's uh, that's that's pretty bad. Well, uh, one of, one of the topics that has really come up in the first couple of games of the season is are the Warriors finished? I mean, they have looked horrible these first couple of games. And I mean, bad, really bad. I think the, the difference you see this year is that the Warriors' bench has been exposed more than ever. They have no one coming off the bench. I think their top scorer is Jordan Poole out of Michigan, and he's a rookie. Um, guys are double-teaming Steph. He doesn't have Clay right now. 
Draymond, while he's a star, isn't going to produce like they need him to now that Kevin Durant's gone. And I think you're seeing it play out. They're still getting adjusted to life without those guys. It's pitiful right now. And was Draymond said last night, he's like, we just effing suck. <laughs> yeah, that's not, not a... Uh... Not not a good thing coming it's, from Draymond and and really Anthony. If you look at this team defensively, they are not good. They're just giving up so many points. I know that the Warriors have been able. Uh, they've been one of the better defensive teams in the league the last couple of years. And really, even when they weren't offensively, they could outscore. This is not what's going to happen this year. Yeah, they just don't have the experience that they've had in the past. They lost a lot of their veterans, Sean Livingston, Javale McGee. I'm not saying those are two super big defensive studs but I mean having that having that experience on your team it really helps you out and I mean I took a look at their roster I was uh, I think it was a tweet that it was like you could probably only name three three players on the on the Warriors roster right now other than that yep. it's you can't really name anyone else so that goes to show that I mean I don't know if they suck but <laughs> Uh, I mean, they they have a high standard for themselves, and they're not living up to it right now. Listen, it's forgivable to lose to the Clippers. That organization has a lot of momentum going for them right now. I understand it. But to lose to Oklahoma City by 30 points, that's and, that's pushing it a little bit. And to be bit. down by 30 at the half as well. Yeah, it was, yeah. Ne- it was, it was never competitive. Yeah. Ne- never a game, but one of the cool things is the NBA is starting. College football is still going on. The NFL, uh, we're winding down with the MLB. We Everything had the Canadian, Canadian football sports equinox was on Sunday. Well, I want to get to you. Your your guy, Tiger Woods. Let's go. At San- 82. We, we will throw. Before before we go, Tiger Woods did win his 82nd, P- uh, well, I shouldn't say PGA Tour It was a PGA Tour. It was his uh, 82nd victory. He tied with Sam Seed for most all time, so one more, and he is over. He is he is back. Gary. Does he yeah, get it at Augusta this year? I, well, I said he was back once he won the, yeah, at, uh, the tour, or no, when I when he uh, won the Masters or was the Tour Championship. I said he was back, but either way, I conceded he's back. I conceded a while ago. Oh, it's it's feeling good seeing Tiger Woods win in Japan, um, and he won convincingly over Hideki Matsuyama. By three strokes. He was going against guys yeah. like Woodland and yeah. McElroy, yeah. too. It was, it was, a, it was a legit win. It wasn't a bad field. I yeah. was. It was impressive. Well, guys, that's all we have here for Tomahawk Talk. We're a little bit over due to, uh, well, a little bit of a fire alarm. Too many hot takes here in this room. It is the hottest room in Seminole sports. Uh, for Anthony, for Luke, for Gianna, for me, for Gary, of course, over at Twitter, Scott, Austin, Olivia, all the people in the station, you're listening to WVFS Tallahassee. This was Tomahawk Talk, the voice of Florida State. Of course, new release is up next.